0: If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew 7. If you don't have your Bibles, bring them next week. There's one in front of you if you need it. Matthew 7. So let's read verses 15. Let's go ahead and read 13 through 20. Uh, We're still chopping away at this large chunk between 13 and 27 as we're finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. So let me read 13 through 20. Our focus will be 15 through 20 uh, and then a short prayer. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I forgot to do that earlier, so I threw it in there. A quick prayer. Let's bow. Our God, our Father, do bountiful this morning with your servants that we might live and keep your word. Please open our eyes that we might behold the wondrous things out of your law. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, So I want to begin this morning with a refresher of last week's question from our catechism and also this week. So if you remember last week I put on the back of our bulletin a question and answer and we'll have one each week that helps us understand a little bit more of scripture about God, about Christ, salvation, man, and all the things thereof. So last week's last week's question was: What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And the answer was: The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And when I say chief end, I don't mean like the Kansas City Chiefs, um, but I mean what's the main purpose? What's the main purpose? Or we might ask, we hear a lot and think ourselves, what's the meaning of life? Why are we here? Why are you alive today? Why were you born? The purpose of my existence, the purpose of your existence, is for one reason God. That's it. For God, for His glory, to exalt Him, to lift high His name. But in all the while that we live for the glory of God, in our answer, we find in Scripture that we also enjoy Him. We find pleasure in Him. We find joy in Yahweh. So, then if it is your purpose in life, we might ask the question, how does that work? How do I do it? What is the standard? What is the guide? Well, on the back of your bulletin today, we have question two. What rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify glorify and enjoy Him? The answer, the Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify God and enjoy Him. So I want to encourage you each week to take this question and answer home and memorize it. Memorize it with your, your, yourself and your family. So here's the bottom line. God created you. Okay? He created you. He created you for Himself. Your life is not about you. That that's goes against everything you've been taught. <clears throat> everything the world tells you. Your life is not about you. You were made so that you could live a life for God's sake, for God's glory. And when you live a life for His glory, you live a life enjoying the fullness of God. So if you're not enjoying God, then it goes without saying you might not be living for God. Taste and see... Taste and see that the Lord is good. But also understand that God did not give you a blank sheet of paper to determine how you are going to glorify Him, how you are going to enjoy Him. He gives us specific instructions on how we ought to live our lives for His glory and how we ought to find enjoyment in Him. The Word of God, as the question and answer says, the Word of God is the only rule to direct our guide or guide us how we might glorify God and enjoy Him for, forever. So we started putting that together that swing set yesterday. There's a lot of parts, <laughs> pieces, and there was about 30 bags of hardware. Uh, but within the parts and the pieces was a booklet, right? An instruction manual. Uh, if we didn't put that thing together... <laughs> without that and we just wanted to do it how we wanted to do it we didn't follow the manufacturer's instructions it probably it we might could get it to look the way we wanted it to or the way that maybe the box but we might fall short but at some point the thing's going to fall apart if we just try to do it how we wanted to do it so we don't get to decide what's best for our lives Now, I'm not not one to say that the Bible is the instruction manual for life because that can be taken in so many different ways. The Bible is an instruction manual for living life to the glory of God. Right? Let's be specific. God and God alone says how we ought to live. It begins with Him and it ends with Him. And it is the Scriptures alone that gives us the correct direction on how to do it, right? It is the Scriptures. Now, okay, so I could keep going on this topic out of this catechism question and answer number the number two, but we've got to move on, and I want to connect it to our passage. So here's how I want us to connect it to what we're looking at today. God has spoken His Word, all right? Yahweh is a God who speaks, He's spoken His Word to His creation in order that we might know how to live. But how have we received His Word? How did it come to us? How did man receive God's Word? We received it through man. Men wrote down the Word of God. Men wrote down the Scriptures. They received it by the Holy Spirit of God given to them. Inspired, We think of Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Isaiah, Hosea, Jonah, and on and on. Men who have been the spokesmen of God to God's creation. And we think about the New Testament. We have the apostles who were given the word of God. They were proclaiming the message of God. On the back of the prophets and apostles, we have God's very words. So we say, the, we say the phrase the word of God a lot, but we have to remember it's not like we, we just make it, okay, it's the word of God. It is the words of God as if I have words and I'm speaking them to you today. These are my words. God has spoken his words, and they are here. The creator of the universe has spoken. God has called the prophets and the apostles to deliver his word in order that we might find redemption, that we would find our purpose to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So a few passages I just want to rattle off here. Um, Ephesians 2 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So, As a believer, as a Christian, you are in the household of God. Well, your house, the household of God, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The foundation of the household of God is the word of God. Because who wrote the word of God? The apostles and the prophets. With Christ Jesus being the cornerstone that sets it up square. The other one that came to my mind is in 2nd Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes, "All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." Ephesians 4 Jesus has given to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, the church, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So I want to say this. I didn't plan on it. I want you to hear me. You come here today, or you read your Bible, or you pray a prayer, or you do a service. Like God's end for you is to grow into spiritual maturity with the believers around you. Christianity isn't about your personal Lord and Savior getting you to heaven. It's about equip being equipped with the rest of the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We are not individual people following Christ. We are individual people who have been brought together as the body of Christ. And you cannot operate outside of the body of Christ. And that doesn't just mean I go to church on Sundays. It's more than that. It's more than that. And we've been talking a lot about that on Sunday nights as we've looked at the marks of a healthy church But I I digress. The point I wanted us to see in Ephesians 4 is that God uses men in order to equip the church for that work, for for the saints, to build up the body. He uses these men and has used these men to speak on his behalf. And now we connect to our passage. Beware of the false prophets. Beware of the false teachers. Beware of the one who says he speaks for God, but what he speaks is not a word of God. So last week we discussed the two gates, the two ways or paths. We, we, we discussed in verse 13 and 14 of 7 how the wide gate and the easy way leads to destruction, but the narrow gate and hard way leads to life. Jesus' next teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, He follows that with a warning. Beware of the ones who are going to send you to the wrong gate. Beware of the ones who are going to lead you down the wrong path. The ones who will lead you to the path of destruction. Now, okay, imagine you're in an unfamiliar area. And you're trying to get to a destination in this unfamiliar area. The only way that you're going to get there, men, is if you ask in for directions. Okay, that's it. That's the only way you're going to get there. You've got to ask for directions. But the only problem is, is you see two different options, two different roads. And there stands two different guides. Two men that are ready to give you the correct directions to get to your destination. The guides are there. They're dressed the same, they sound the same, they have the same facial expressions, they're both excited to help you and give you instruction. The only problem is that one of them is a liar. One of them is a liar. One of them wants to send you down the wrong road. Outwardly they appear the same, but inwardly they are very different. Only one truly cares for your journey. And the other one is only seeking to gain for themselves by giving you the wrong instruction. So Matthew 7, Jesus is is, is sure of this danger. He's absolutely positive that you must beware that there are people leading you to the wrong gate. People are, are telling you that you're on the right path when you are on... The wrong path. And he says in verse 15, Beware. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard this word in the Sermon on the Mount, but we have to understand the weight and significance of this word. Jesus is wanting to get your attention. When we travel and we're in the hills or the mountains, we see those yellow signs that say falling rocks or watch for falling rocks, right? How many of you ever been hit by a falling rock in one of those places? I, I don't know. I don't, does anyone know of anybody ever getting hit by a falling rock at one of those places? you going through a mountain, driving through the mountains and you know the signs that says watch for falling. Okay, so what do you do? You see the sign, you turn the radio on, you keep going. You give it no thought. It's a warning sign. It's wanting you to beware. But we're probably going to go the rest of our lives and never get hit by a falling rock on one of those roads. Well, when Jesus says, Beware of false prophets, it's going to happen. You're going to be confronted. I promise you, you already have been confronted. You have already been told false truth by false prophets and teachers. He is warning because the threat is real. He says, false prophets who come to you. Beware of the false prophets who come to you. And that word come in the Greek, uh, it's, let's do some English here or some grammar I should say. Uh, The word come in the Greek, it's a present verb. Present, meaning the threat is now. The threat is now. Not just in the past, not in the future, not maybe, but it's now. Also, the same word when he says come, as in he says false prophets who come to you. It's an indicative verb, which I had to look up. Which basically means the speaker is absolutely convinced of the reality of the action. Jesus isn't making a parable or an analogy with the hopes of motivating you to hear and, you know, like the sign of the falling rocks. We're just saying this because there's the potential of danger. He's wanting you as the hearer of His words to be on guard <clears throat> you think about the old westerns and you got a group of cowboys traveling from one place to another and they camp for night what do they do they they take turns on the watch right say i'm going to go first you go second you go third so on and so forth why do they do that why why are they going to take such efforts because they are in danger. It's because they know if they go to sleep the black hat will come and get them. They know they must keep guard. If they're not vigilant in their guarding, they could be destroyed. Well, so what's so bad about false prophets, right? Let's actually talk about the false prophet. Well, first We have to establish, and we already have mentioned it, and I want to say it again. Yahweh, the God of the universe, is not a silent God. He has spoken. And He continues to speak through His Word. He has revealed Himself through the prophets and the apostles. He's got something to say. I want to make sure that you are listening to what He has to say. This is one of the most distinguishing characteristics of Yahweh compared to all other false gods and idols. They don't talk. Other false gods and idols cannot speak because they are not real. But since God is God, He is creator, the supreme ruler and authority of all things, and because His word is the only rule that directs how we ought to live for the glory of God, then it would be really good for you to know what He has said. You don't care about anyone else's opinions or thoughts about this life or the life to come. All you want to care about is what God has said. And so with that in mind, Ezekiel gives us an indirect definition of false prophets. We won't turn there, I'll just... It's in Ezekiel 22, you can check it out later. But with the understanding of we need to know what God has said, Ezekiel helps us understand why false prophets or false teachers are so bad. So he says this when he's defining the situation in Israel and speaks of the prophets of that time. He says, And her, Israel, her prophets saying... Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. Let me say that again. The false prophets say, Thus says the Lord God, but God has not actually said. Let me help you understand this. The false prophet Ezekiel says, the false teacher will stand up and declare this tagline that we that we know of prophets to say, right? Prophets come into a take Jonah, let's just take Jonah. Jonah walks into Nineveh and he says this, "Thus says the Lord." He doesn't say, "Thus says Jonah. Hey right, everybody, gather around. I got something to tell you. God sends Jonah the prophet to Nineveh to say what God has said. That's the role of a prophet. And they start their message with thus says the Lord. The following? But for the false prophet, what they say God has not said. Does that make sense? They proclaim thus Says the Lord, because they're a prophet, right? But what makes them a false prophet is that what they say, God has not said. Got it? The false prophet makes a declaration that God has spoken to them, but the only problem is, God has not. The false prophet says, "This is what God says," when God has not said anything like it. The prophet had not received any words from God. The prophet does not understand the word of God. The prophet is speaking on their own behalf, declaring the words from their own mind. The false prophet and t- the, the false prophet and teacher proclaim a counterfeit word of God. A counterfeit. Word of God. They claim to be the words of God. They claim to be the real thing. But they are nothing but fake, false, they're all lies. So, why is that so bad? Well, if a false prophet tells you this is the rule that is to direct how you are to live your life for the glory of God. But they, and you follow them then you are going to the path, leading down to the path of destruction. Let me make sure I said that clearly. Why is it so bad to, to listen to the words of a false prophet? It's because they are saying something, speaking on behalf of God, false truth that will lead you to living a life condemned by God not living for his glory and enjoying him forever. Let's look at Acts 20. Acts 20. And the time is flying by. This is this is a really good I, this is, as a pastor this is a section of scripture that is uh, is just Ingrained into my mind and heart, and it's something that even that we all should understand and know. And basically, what we're going to see here in Acts twenty is Paul is Paul has been led by the Spirit to leave where he is and go to Jerusalem. And basically, Paul knows that that means he's about to lose his head. It's over. But he knows he has to go, that the Lord is leading them there. So he, he pulls together all the elders of the Ephesian church. And he wants to kind of give them his parting words. I'll start in 22. So the Ephesian elders, the, the, the leaders and pastors of the church in Ephesus, are gathered around Paul. In verse 22 he says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem... Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. So that's the setup. He's going in to suffer for the sake of Christ. Verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I might finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So here we have a picture of a true prophet or teacher. Right? Filling his course and his ministry that he has received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of... None of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So, this is parting words. I'm never going to see you again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Why is he innocent of the blood of all? 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Whose counsel? God's counsel. Now, we get... A warning in 28. He switches a bit. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. When he says flock, he means the church. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So the elders of the church are the overseers. The pastors are overseeing, as I mentioned last week shortly... To care for the church of God. Pay careful attention, he says. Which the church of God has been obtained by Christ's own blood. Verse 29. Here it is. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things... To draw away the disciples after them. So here's the facts of what Paul says. The false prophets and teachers will come. Same way Jesus said, when they come to you, they will come. This is when it gets scary. They will come in among you. They will speak untruth, twisted truth. And their sole purpose is to draw you away. Notice he says to draw disciples away. That's the aim of the false prophet, the false teacher. And so he says very plainly in verse 31: therefore be alert. Be alert remembering that for 3 years i did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears this is how so important right sound doctrinal teaching is that it kept paul up for 3 straight days and nights in tears giving them the word of god that they might stand firm when they are attacked by false teaching because he tells he tells the ephesus church, the Ephesian church in his letter to Ephesus, in his letter to the church, that I want you, I already told you the passage, I'm, that Jesus has given you apostles, prophets, uh, teachers, evangelists, shepherds, so that you're not tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. And so he labors and labors for them to know what God has said. So, as we think about the potential of false prophets and teachers among us, Paul says they will arise from you. He tells them to guard themselves and the flock. How can they come in among the church? We go back to Matthew 7. Jesus says they come to you in sheep's clothing. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like one of you. They talk like one of you. They act like one of you. But really they are not. Jude says in his letter that we had read before. That these certain ungodly people crept in unnoticed crept in unnoticed. I want you to understand something, church. The New Testament is very clear about the biggest threat to the church. The New Testament is very clear about the greatest havoc that can be done to the church. It's not the world. It's false teaching. It's false teaching. Over and over again, the writers of the New Testament are very clear in their warnings to the church to be alert, to watch out, to remove them among you that bring such nonsense and to not put up with the false teachers who spew out such teaching. Uh, For the sake of time, I don't want to go there, but if you read Paul's letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, he gives a good understanding of what a false teacher will do. Their teaching spreads through the church like gangrene. But he also tells them that that false teaching in the ESV says is upsetting some of, some of them in the faith. I don't really like that word upsetting. Uh, it doesn't give a good hard picture. But the false teaching of those whom Paul warns about are overturning and ruining the faith of some. Overturning and ruining the faith of some. The result of a false teacher is destruction. Eternal destruction. Jesus says they come like sheep, but they are ravenous wolves. Ravenous is just a fancy word, I guess. I don't use it very often. But it just means vicious and destructive. Vicious and destructive, they are servants of Satan, and their end is the same as their father Satan, to steal, kill, and destroy now i I want to to be gentle here, I guess true false prophets and teachers, uh, as we'll see later are bound for hell. But there are some who are not, if we were to define them, false prophets and teachers, but some who are misleading the flock by ignorance. Uh, Paul references to some degree that sort of character in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 3 or 4, uh, that if they're building their ministry in that sense, they're building with sh- uh, sh- hay, straw, and stubble, and that all of their work will be burned up. But they will be saved. So here's uh, here's here's the careful warning I want to give you. Even a somewhat well-known, familiar. Teacher, uh, while we might not classify them as false teachers, they can still mislead you and misguide you. And the only way you can really know that is to know your Bible. That's it. And this is kind of how I want to transition to conclude. How do you recognize them? Jesus leaves you hanging here. Or at least he did me. Because he's like, okay, they're dressed like sheep, so you think they're okay. But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. And then he says, you will know them by their fruit. And then he gives us an understanding, and we've talked about it a lot, that what you are inwardly will come out. Right? What you are inwardly will come out. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. And then we finish and he's like, he didn't tell us what the fruit is. He didn't give you the specifics of what to look for. So I'm like, okay, what are we looking for, Jesus? How do you recognize the bad fruit? Well, the Bible is full of descriptive characteristics of false teachers and prophets. Jesus might not have spoken about it in this setting, in this passage. But a student of the scripture, someone who reads the word of God and considers it, meditates on it. They will see the caution signs of vicious wolves. They will see the warning signs of their false teaching. But let me warn you. If you're one who doesn't open the Scriptures, if if you do not search the Word of God, this I know, that the wolves are already biting on you. They're at your front door. No, they were in your home. They are on your TV. They are on your phone. They are on your radio. If you're not living by the Word of God, be prepared to be eaten up. And here's the sad part about it is you have no idea. None. Until you get to Matthew 7, 21 and you say, Lord, Lord, here I am. And he says, get away from me. You worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. The only chance that you have To stand against Satan, his evil, and his false preachers is by putting on the armor of God. And guess what the first piece of that armor is? The belt of truth. The belt of truth. So, the word of God gives you the characteristics. Gives you the warning signs. Do not, do not... Avoid seeking the truth of the Word of God. Paul does describe to Timothy, a false teacher could be one who stirs up quarrels, divisions, and friction. Another kind of false teacher might be one who emphasizes the grace of God in a way... That says after you're saved, it doesn't matter how you live because you're covered by the blood of Jesus. They take away the fact that, that we are still to follow the law even though we have been forgiven of all sins past, present, and future they say the law doesn't matter it doesn't matter how you live as long as you are a believer as long as you told somebody at one point as long as you got baptized whatever this whatever it is as long as you did something and you can tell someone you're a christian it doesn't matter how you live this is a damnable heresy that will send you straight to hell do not believe such false teaching And if that teaching be in you now, repent and fall to the feet of Christ and obey His words. Everyone who hears the words of mine, verse 26 of chapter 7, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it." A lot of people a lot of people interpret that verse as in the judgment of God is coming and if you are not building your house on the words of Christ you cannot withstand the judgment of God. Another type of false teaching that is warned of here is is that They teach and proclaim only what is easy upon the ears of the hearers. Or as in, Paul says to Timothy, they tickle the ears. They skirt around the difficult doctrine. They leave out the words that bring conviction and shame. And yes, shame is not a bad thing. They don't preach the eternal danger of sin. They try to make the word of God only happy. But they forget about two things. Number one, Jesus died a bloody death. He endured the wrath of God. There was nothing pretty and happy about it. And number two, they forget that the word of God, that God describes His own words as a two-edged sword. And that it pierces, it cuts, it it divides between bone and And marrow, it exposes the thoughts and intentions of a person. It brings them bare before God and able to hide any sin. And for some, that brings judgment and that is eternal eternal destruction. But by that same Word of God that divides and brings to bear the intentions and thoughts and sins of a person, brings about the grace of God through the forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. These false teachers remove the need of the cross of Christ when they remove sin. They remove the gospel. They remove the covering of the shed blood of the Son of God who was crushed by the Father underneath His wrath as He hung on the cross. And why did He do that? So that your sins could be forgiven. God killed His Son so that you might live People won't say that these days. But by his wounds you are healed. So, what are the results of false prophets and teachers and what's at stake? Verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I believe you understand that illustration. I don't have to go – I don't have to parse that through. To be cut down and thrown into the fire. Eternal destruction comes to those who proclaim falsely the words of God. And without repentance, they will will perish under His wrath and judgment. Galatians 1, for the sake of time, I'll just tell you. Paul tells the, the, the church of Galatia, he says, If an angel or if I preach a different gospel than Jesus' gospel, may I be damned. May an angel be damned. But what I mostly want you to know today, as I've already mentioned that false prophets and teachers have an effect on the hearer as Jesus is talking to the false prophets of his time, the false teachers of his time, the scribes and the Pharisees, he calls them hypocrites. He says they shut the kingdom of heaven and people's faces for they neither enter or for he's speaking to them for you neither enter Yourselves, nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Here's what the false prophet and teacher, he tells of, of, his, of Jesus' time. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, a disciple. And when he becomes a proselyte or disciple, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Beware. Beware of the false prophets and teachers because they will drag you into hell with them. And you could sit in this church for 40 years and you could still be drugged into hell with the false teaching that might be infiltrating you. I'll tell you what, it ain't going to come from me. And if it does, you remind me of Paul's words in Galatians. That be damned if anyone speak a false gospel. You're going to hear it out there. You're going to hear it on your TV. You're going to hear it on your radio. You're going to read it. And they're going to want to take you to hell with them. Open your Bibles. Open your Bibles. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to the truth of the Scriptures. Right now I want to call all who are away from Christ, blind to what the truth is. I want to call you to crawl to the cross of Christ and beg for mercy. To believe and repent and find forgiveness, peace, and joy in Christ. Believe, confess, be baptized, become a part of the body of Christ, and we will help one another stand firm. What's at stake with false teaching? The Word of God is at stake. And the Bible is very clear that the Word of God is the power of salvation to all who believe. And it is very clear that it is the power of God for all who are being saved. We must not let it go. We must not forget it. We must not let people come in and pervert it. We must guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to us. For the sake of one another, our souls, and the glory of God. Let's pray.